Aloha. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chad Ford, and my guest today is the Boston sports guy, the sports guy, the legend, Bill Simmons. Bill, we came to work at ESPN like weeks apart from from each other. Uh, You from your website, Boston Sports Guy, me from sportstalk.com, nbatalk.com. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let's let's just let's let's uh, look at our track records here for a second. You went on to create revolutionary new sports page, page two, merging <laughs> entertainment and sports together in ways that's never happened before. You started your own website while at ESPN, Grantland, discovered a whole new generation of young entertainment and sports writers, produced an epic series of sports documentaries, wrote comedy for Jimmy Kimmel, then went on to found a multi-million dollar company that was just bought by Spotify. That's that's you. Me, check notes here, uh, wrote about the NBA for a bit, then moved to Hawaii, wrote about the draft for a decade, spent two years in ESPN quarantine, and just started a podcast from home. So I'm going to say like we're neck and neck. First of all, you sold yourself way short. You've resolved conflict for the last decade or so. So many conflicts have been resolved. You created, in my opinion, and perfected the mock draft, which has been ripped off now for the last 15 years. But you were the first one that really... Banged at home, and you created the big board and 2.0 and 3.0 and 4.0. That I I think the stuff you were doing with the NBA draft, in a lot of ways, transformed um, how we thought about NBA and NFL draft coverage and making it year round. So you did great. Okay. And I should mention, my dad listened to the entire podcast you did with KOC and said, "I'm so glad Chad Ford is back. He really has full command." I, m- I missed having him around in the oh. draft. So you oh, that's, that. that, that's huge. That's huge. I, I, yeah. I, I want that endorsement on the, on the podcast now. That's amazing. Uh, He's, my dad's available to come on and complain about the uh, Rick Pitino era. If, you ever need, <laughs> if you're ever really desperate for a guest, he can come on and talk about how upset he is about how Joe Forte was such a bust and all that stuff. He's ready. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think that uh, he would be probably the perfect guest for that. So maybe we'll do the history of the Celtics in the draft and, and bring your dad on to, uh, to give us a long, a long, long history of that. We, I just did the 2001 draft with Zach Lowe, and it was so funny to think about how we thought about the draft back then versus how we think about it now with, uh, especially like the first four guys in that draft did not go to college. Right. And everybody, and that was the first year you were at ESPN and I was at ESPN. That was our first kind of summer working for them. And we felt like this was just going to be the future of the draft and it was just going to go this way forever. And then that's just not what happened. And now it's like, we're in this weird no man's land as we have this, the high school thing is probably going to be back when in two years and, the double draft and and now it's like kind of starting up again with this great unknown, but it's so many twists and turns last two decades. Well, and even know? even this year, I mean, if you look at this year, a lot of the top high school prospects were going overseas now to play play in Australia, uh, for example, like Lamelo Ball. You had uh, James Wiseman decide, you know what? After the NCAA suspension, I'm not really sure. That you know that I want to play. I mean, there's a whole trend anyway of top prospects not even wanting to play for college, even if they had to wait a year. And we're finding other opportunities for that. And so, before COVID nineteen and not being able to to scout March Madness and conference tournaments and and you know all of those things, NBA scouts were already running up against some challenges about what the new look was going to be for the NBA. And so, it's great to have you back 
and and to talk again. We did these if for those of you that remember, we did these mock draft debates in 2007, 8. We skipped a year in 2009. I'm not sure why. And then we did in 2010. Did we skip 09? We skipped 09. We were back in 210. Oh, we wow. did a podcast I... in 09. Then we did 210, and then we skipped 2011, and we were back on on Grantland on 2012. Somehow, somehow, by the way, you chose first in all four of those drafts. You had the first pick in, in all four of those little mock draft debates that we had, and that's why you own a house in Malibu or wherever it is that, that, that you live. <laughs> and and then we did that. We did some podcast. Our last one that I could find was in 2014. So it's been. I deserve the first pick, just for the record. You deserved it. You, you, yeah, because you know more than I do. I, I needed at least some sort of advantage. Okay. But I, I kind of came in waves with the draft. Like I, I feel like, especially '07 and '08, I really was watching a lot of college basketball those years because those, those, those classes were so loaded. I became infatuated with Durant and '08. I the UCLA team I used to love watching and. Um, it was just a really fun couple years. And then it's kind of started to fade in 11 and 12. But then I ended up doing the draft in 13 for ESPN, 13 and 14. So I, I really got back into it and trying to study it. And the first draft I did on TV was the famous Anthony Bennett draft. Which you had the most famous reaction I, to the entire – everybody's going to remember well, your reaction to Anthony Bennett going number one is the highlight of that draft. Well, it was absurd. We we were on the ground those two hours before, and all the intel was like he might fall out of the top eight or nine or ten. Like this is the guy who could free fall, and nobody knew what Cleveland was going to do. But he was never really taken seriously as an option. That draft, though, going into that, trying to figure out who was going where and what was going to happen, and there were some European guys. Nerlens Noel had, had torn his ACL and. I think that was probably the most fun draft from a suspense standpoint because it really felt like everything was on the table. We had no idea who the best guys were. We we had weird teams in the top five like Phoenix, who you know you just it was impossible to even predict what they were going to do, and uh, and it was really fun to be there and be on TV for it. I first started doing the draft in 1996 uh, with Sports Talk, and you know had a mock draft the, the day of the draft. And this isn't patting myself on the back. I think lots of people got this right. There was only one draft in all of those years where I got the number one pick in the draft wrong, and that was 2013. Uh, I did wow. not see Anthony Bennett coming as well. And and that that's not patting myself on the back. By that time, it, it was generally known information who a team was going to take number one in, in the draft. It wasn't like that I just knew it. It, it was fairly predictable, and teams began to signal – what they were going to do in, in part to start to shape the narrative about the, about the pick. Yeah. The Cavs, in doing a lot of digging afterwards, they were wrestling on draft night. They still didn't know. And part of it was because all of the guys that they were they were looking at, there were six players, I think, that they were seriously considering with the number one pick. They all had considerable warts. None of them were your traditional franchise changer type of player. And and of the six that they could have chose from, they made they they picked the the worst possible choice. I remember I I made a big case. We did a we did draft shows the night before, and then we were on live TV, obviously. And I really thought they should have taken Oladipo because I just felt like he was the safest pick. Right. It was a draft where there was no superstar, and he had the highest upside just to be good. 
you know, where it was like, all right, I know this guy is a very good athlete who gives a shit. And he was good enough in college. I kind of know what he is as a pro. He's definitely a two guard. He's going to be athletic to defend people at least. So why not just take the most obvious one? They got, in fact, what's crazy about the Bennett thing, they got really infatuated by his, his ceiling. And even when we were talking about what he is at the draft, we, his ceiling was unclear because nobody knew what position right. he was. It was like, is he power forward? I think they and, hoped and he was Larry like Johnson. Then, I mean, I think that's who they, they right. hoped he was going to be. But then you think they also have bad luck because basketball completely changes within the next year and a half where all of a sudden everyone starts going smaller and those six foot seven, six foot eight tweener guys become really hard to play. Yeah. You know, it's you could just basically play those guys off the court if they can't play defense. So it, it was bad timing. But for for me, that the thing that always never made sense with me is why not? You're not taking Old Depot because you already have Deion Waiters. And it's like, well, Deion, you're not winning a title if Deion Waiters is one of your three best guys. Why not take a guy who's better than Deion Waiters, make him the sixth man? But that's the thing with these drafts, and that's why we have so much fun talking about them, talking about them after the fact, even talking about them in the moment, you might think you had the right answer. And you, and then you look back two years later and you're like, what? I mean, I love the Joe Forte pick. Yeah. It, when, when the Celtics took him, I was like, this is great. Can't believe we got him. <laughs> and it was completely it's wrong. Per, it's pretty you know, embarrassing we, I, to read a lot of commentary that, that I wrote. Our, I, I went back and read some of our draft debates together. It, it's mostly, a lot of it's pretty yeah. cringeworthy. Uh, because uh, and this is this is really interesting because I love the draft and you love the draft and I think you know obviously both of our careers in part have have that imprint on us that that we love the draft we yeah. get a lo- super excited about it and and I always wonder why and and part of it is because it's hope right it's hope for all thirty teams after the season's over especially for the twenty nine that didn't win it win a championship that year hope that this guy this mystery person that's going to come in that we project all of our hopes and dreams onto is going to be the person that's going to turn around the franchise if they get it right and 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 I think hope is such a powerful motivator and narrative and the other thing and this gets to two thousand thirteen. I've been doing this a long time. I feel like I'm a fairly smart person. I'm a, I'm a college professor. I'm, I, I've, I st- I've studied statistics. I've studied all these different things. It's impossible to predict. I, right. I spent the last two years in quarantine thinking I am going to go back and look at everything that I've done in the draft and try to figure out how to do this better Be- because I'm just not happy with my own track record and all of this, let alone teams. And, and I came away f- two years later as confused as as before about that. And so the hope combined with the unpredictability of what's going to actually happen with these players. I, it's so potent to me. I think you let you left out one important. I agree with you in hope and unpredictability. Comedy is the third piece of this. (laughs) Okay. You know, and this is why I fell in love with the draft for those three things, because I love the NBA I also thought like the suits, the interviews, all that stuff was great. But then just teams screwing up because most of the time the teams that are in the top six or top seven are there for a reason because they're terrible or they're terribly run or both. So you have, you know, you think about the Clippers, the 98 draft where they take all of a candy. 
Like, trust me, that was crazy as it was happening. He was 24 years old. He went to Pacific University. Um, there's, it, it didn't really make sense in any conceivable way other than that they needed a center. And this was back in the era when, you know, I think teams drafted based on need, maybe a little bit more than they do now. But that was a train wreck as it was happening. Hashim Thabit in 2009, same thing. It, that week leading up to it, it's like they're not really going to take him, right? And it's just getting closer and closer. And it's like, wait, they're they're really not going to take him, right? And then they end up doing it. I, that to, to me, that piece of it is the third element that I, I just love. One of my jobs is to talk to NBA teams and scouts beforehand, and and they're actually prohibited by the NBA for a while, and then by their teams of of talking on the record about this stuff. And so everything's off the record before the draft, right? And and while everything that I do, everything that you do is on the record, right? It's, it's, it's immortalized. If you want to go yep. back and see what we wrote in 2007 uh, in, in our debate about guys, it's, it's all there for you to look at and, and make fun of us. Yeah. And how quick, but I take notes, how quickly the narrative changes with these guys. Oh, that wasn't my guy. You know, that was the owner or, you know, there was a, a situation with the agent or we thought we had this trade in place. The creative and novel excuses that go into how we screwed up this draft are, are infinite. And it's always interesting to hear this in the media. And, and I know, but I'm never going to give up a source. No, you loved that guy. You were, you were pushing for that guy for months. And, and one of the things that it is that I did learn is I went through all my old, old notebooks and everything else. The scouts that I'm talking to now, I've went back and looked at 15 years of notes of who actually was right about this stuff in February and and in March and who was consistently has been wrong. And I, I will just say there's some general managers uh, right now in this league. There are some high, high profile scouts and assistant general managers that have a, about a two to five percent track record um, in the draft, but oh, don't wow. have that reputation at all because it's it's hidden right well and then the flip side of that is if somebody really pans out the number of people that knew it start saying that they were the reason we took this guy or yeah, I, yeah. when i was there i was the one pushing for him that's yeah. basically everybody takes credit yeah. for that that even happened to me at espn there's nine people saying oh yeah i found him i know exactly who found me it was john walsh yeah. and jay lovager and those it was those two people and that was it. They, anybody else was like, yeah, I know, like they're full of shit. <laughs> um, but I think the same thing happens with guys who pan out in the draft. Like you, 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 everyone runs from it if it didn't work out. And if it did work out, then there's seven oh, people and involved. You know, the, like, the, oh, yeah, the greatest example thing. of this is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Every, every general manager, every, every scout has, you want to hear a story? You know, on right. draft night, I almost quit begging begging my team to take Anta Takumbo. I knew that this guy was going to be the MVP of the league. Checks notes. Chad's flipping back through his his notebook. Everybody, Giannis Antetokounmpo, could be great, super intriguing, have no idea. He's years away. That's why he was at 15. Even Danny Ainge, who scouted Antetokounmpo and knew him well, passed on him for Kelly Olenek on draft night. Right. Um, but has a story to tell. I did that draft. Well, I did that draft because he was six nine. You can't that can't be slept on. He grew three inches after the draft. So I, I think if teams knew he was growing to seven feet, he would have been a top six or seven pick. There was also concerns about 
And it's funny, this has gotten lost in the narrative about whether he could even come to America, yep. remember? Or whether he could stay. When he was going to come. People were nervous about that. And then the competition was just brutal. I, I've i told this story on my podcast, but I really, that first year, I, I was all in. I was researching everything, watching YouTube until two in the morning, shit like that. And watching his clips, it was like, I don't know what I'm watching. This guy's... It seems like he's a foot taller than everyone he's playing against. It seems like he's in a, you know, a, a small high school gym, and I was like, how the fuck could we know anything? So when he went 15, I think in the draft, if you watch it, I think I say something like, oh, I, I like that. That's good value for where we're. It feels a tiny bit early, but I like why not? We're now in the upside portion of this draft. Like you're throwing darts, but I think if he had gone. Even 10 in that draft, that would have been crazy. Because there were real guys on the Like, CJ McCollum, I think, went 10th. Um, well, I remember... I remember Schroeder. We all thought he was the best foreign guy in the draft. Like, if you're going to take a risk on a young foreign guy, he's first, Giannis is second. Figuring that they would be in the... Probably, like, 14 yeah. and 19 range. They were going to go in there. And Fran Fraschella, who we had working in the draft that year... And we would have the you know these four hour meetings, and you go through each guy, and he'd be like, Giannis, like, unbelievable athlete. I have no idea. Like, it's I don't know. I don't even know if he can come over in time and all that stuff. I would say the one thing I've learned with the draft, and it's really hard to even know this if it's somebody like you or me, like try how to evaluate this. But the recurring theme over and over again from the guys who really make it are their gym rats, totally give a shit. Um, in there all the time, really driven, competitive guys who just want to get better. So that was like one of the reasons I really liked RJ Barrett last year. And I, and I still stand by him. I think he gives a shit and he can't really shoot yet in a consistent way. But I also think he's the kind of guy that three years from now will have, will have a three point shot because I think he would work at it every single day until he has one. I would rather bet on a guy like that than the you know the stroll mile swift types that are just like great athlete not sure where his head's at like marquise chris the one thing we've learned over the year yeah the one thing we learned over the years is those guys don't usually make it and they could be incredibly talented but if they don't have the motor it's not going to happen i think anthony bennett's a really good example like he had a lot of off the court uh maturity stuff and you know couldn't even stay in shape as a 19 year old kid so what is what does that tell you ultimately? Somebody like Barkley, um, even though he had weight issues when he was at Auburn, but he was still like a badass. Like he gave a shit about basketball. And I, those are the guys that make I, I think that's that's a great insight. The work ethic, passion for the game. And then the other thing that I've learned is as much as I love length, athleticism, all of that stuff, they have to be able to feel the game and see the game. Uh, they they have to have some fundamental understanding of what it means to play five on five basketball uh, because you can get away with that in high school and not have those things. You can get away with it even in college if you're physically stronger than than other people or if you have superior athleticism. But it becomes so much harder in the NBA to continue to. That's Kedrick Kedrick Brown, right? Yeah. I mean, isn't he like the ultimate example of that? The guy was an amazing athlete. Had no idea how to play basketball. It was like he was an alien. There's many, many examples of that mistake that I could see consistently making over the years is falling in love with that athleticism, the body, the length, missing out on this idea that they don't know how to play 
or the way that they play is not at all the way that they're going to actually be able to play in the NBA. And they're not going to be able to make that adjustment because their head's not there and the work ethic's not there. And you know, one of the things you can say about all of the greats is the minute the season's over, they're back working on their game again and, and improving their game, polishing weaknesses. And if, there, if there's one thing that I want to sing the praise of you know, LeBron James is he's, he's had the ultimate work ethic of what he's done with his body, what he does in the offseason to prepare himself. Uh, Michael Jordan did the same thing. I mean, Michael Jordan made it really in vogue to have your own trainer, Tim Grover, and continue just to work, 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 uh, even though even though you're really good. And and players that aren't going to do that are are going to are going to fall short. So I think that's a, that's a great great insight. I think that's why the Celtics fell for Tatum in that draft versus Fultz. I think they spent two days with Fultz and at that point had had enough experiences with different guys that the there he just seemed really immature in all these different ways and they looked at Tatum and they're like that's a guy who's gonna be like can I have the keys to the gym at 6 a.m I want to shoot jumpers for two hours and with those stakes with the top three pick Jalen Brown and Tatum are two guys that are wired that way and they really valued that piece over really anything else, even the athleticism, the length, all that. And stuff. I missed a little bit on Tatum. And that was the signal that I missed because Drew Hanlon, who was, who was training him, kept telling me this guy works as hard as anybody that I've ever had in the gym. He's relentless. I'm telling you, he's going to be great. And, uh, and I thought it would be good, but I didn't but think it, he'd be great. But isn't that, I, I mean, one of the things that's happened this decade and KOC and I talk about it a lot because KOC is such a good guy. And I think people, he talks to a lot of people and I, and I think, Sometimes in the NBA, people can take advantage of somebody's good nature. All these guys sell their own, sell their dudes. They talk them up, they pimp them, they become the Bundini Brown of of whoever they're working out. And I think sometimes they can be full of shit, and it's really hard to figure out how genuine is this. It's not like they're going to tell you, "I'm working out this guy. I spent the last two months with him. He fucking yeah. sucks. Don't put him in your top ten. Like they're never going to yeah. do that. So you almost have to sift through the bullshit and figure out what's genuine and what's not genuine. And that's really why it's why I, I always insisted in going to these, these draft workouts and, you know, people would say, what do you really learn in a, in two hours? But you can actually learn a lot about a player's makeup. It's not the drills that they're taking through. It's how they, (laughs) how prepared they are, how they fight through them. And, you know, watching Willie Colley Stein take, 15 breaks with an ESPN reporter sitting on the sideline uh, to go off to talk to his girlfriend or to work on his phone or just to be tired or whatever, you know, was a really great omen of what you were going to see from Willie Colley Stein uh, in the NBA. Bill, let's take a break. We're going to come back on the next segment and we're going to talk about our biggest mistakes. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using the information right away. 
And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or your lunch break or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, the history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read, but never had the time. I've read The War for Kindness, Building Empathy in a Fractured World by Jamil Zaki, and The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion by Jonathan Haidt, and I highly recommend you check them out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for a low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA, try it for free for seven days, and save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up on Blinkist.com slash NBA. And we're back, talking NBA draft with the great Bill Simmons. Your worst call, Bill. Which which guy did you get wrong out of out of all of the drafts? What what was the guy that you fell in love with that just turned out to be an absolute bust in the NBA? The one that I I feel the worst about, and I don't know if it was a hundred percent my fault, was Howard versus Okafor. Mm. Because I think most of the times when I've gone all in on top elite guys, I, my track record's been pretty good. That one, I don't know what happened with Okafor. I really thought Okafor was going to be a great pro. I, I liked his game. I thought he was good at UConn. I thought he was going to be this mobile shot blocker. He did get hurt. And the Howard thing, I was just like, the guy's a high schooler. Like, who knows? It's a crapshoot. And then Howard turned out to be, you know, the best center of that generation. So I tried to think like, all right, what did I learn from this? Why did I get this so wrong? The Okafor thing, he got hurt. Can't do much about that. But what I learned is like, when you're talking about high schoolers, it's just a mistake to go all in either way. Because those guys are so young. You know, you don't know. Like James Wiseman, who I, I is basically a high schooler. He barely played in college. I have no idea. And you don't either. Like we have a sense. We can talk to people. But we don't really know. And we don't know what his makeup's like. We've never really seen him tested in game situations, things like that. So I, I probably regret there's a stretch where I, I think I was too too kind of certain on how high schoolers would turn out. So that's one. Another one, It's it wasn't even a lottery pick, but the James Young, just because I was on TV, I really wanted him to drop to the Celtics. I really liked him. And I valued the fact that at Kentucky, and they made the finals that year, and he played big minutes for them and was and was good for them. And he just seemed like he had his shit together. And then he goes to the NBA, and he and not only did he not have his shit together, um, all the off-court stuff com- completely knocked him out. He was done in two years. And so I look at that, and I'm like, did I get that wrong? Or did did we did we underestimate like the off court stuff and that's where like we get in a situation when we talk about this stuff like 
Like you, you were all in on Darko that year. The makeup of Darko was what kept him from being a great player because he had all the tools. So the question is, should we have known from the makeup before that draft that he wasn't going to make it or was there more than just the makeup? Because he also went to a terrible situation. He's a bench guy in Detroit. He's barely playing. I, I don't know. That's what makes the draft so much fun. I don't know if there's an answer. This is why there's no maxim that totally holds true in the, in, in the draft either. I saw Dwight Howard work out with Tim Grover before the draft. Tim brought him in for me to check him out. This was one of the most lackadaisical non-hard work ethic, goofing around the whole time. And we actually know this about Dwight Howard now, right? Goofing around, completely unserious. And I'm watching this like this is the number one pick potentially in this in this in this draft right now. And wanting to write that off the immaturity of being in high school. And and again, I was very young in the draft process for me, still trying to figure out how much that matters or whatever you ever. But if you talk about one of the things you learn from the draft is that the guy that goes in and busts his butt and has a great passion for the game and everything else is going to be the guy to bet on. Dwight Howard would not have been your guy. Emeka Okafor would have been your guy, right? He actually fits that rule. That, that you're talking about, which maybe is why you got it wrong and you didn't even get to see it maybe as up close as I did with Dwight Howard. I mean, the, the immaturity that was there was was stunning. Kwame Brown. I mean, you can you can go on with 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 some of these players. I um sometimes like there's been good ones where it was just I almost feel like the GMs talked themselves out of the player because they had seen them too much in college. Like the Chris Paul one's the ultimate example. He was clearly where he went in the draft versus how everyone who kind of followed him in college and, and then read anything about him was like, that guy can't miss. Why are we, why are we talking themselves out of, out of Chris Paul? Um, on the flip side, I got, I, I really whiffed on Damian Lillard. I think I, I thought Austin Rivers should have gone ahead of him. I have a draft diary you from did. that year. Yeah. And it was like Damian Lillard four year, Four-year college player. He's small. He can't defend anybody. Like, what are we doing? Why would we take you? Austin Rivers is three years younger. That I mean, that's a no-brainer. He's the number one high school player a year ago. Why would you take that guy? And that was uh, that was a whiff and a half. But Lillard's a guy that you you think about in retrospect. Go back and read the stuff people wrote about him. Everybody was like, "This guy's an animal. Oh. He will. He is in the gym." All the time, this guy is obsessed with being the, the, great. the single best workout that I've seen in all of my draft years was Damian Lillard in Oakland. And it really reminded me, you know, in Rocky three, when uh, Mr. Yeah. T's working out, there's a montage and then Rocky's working out in like a casino and people are kissing him and taking pictures. And then Mr. T's in the basement grunting and, 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 you know, just working up this massive sweat. Damian Lillard was Mr. T. Uh, I've wow. never seen a player go at this the way Damian Lillard did. They they strapped this thing around his waist and a huge bungee cord behind him, and his tr- and his trainer was then had it had the bungee cord wrapped around his waist. And as Damian Lillard was driving to the basket, he was yanking on this cord to keep Damian Lillard away from the basket and Lillard had to fight, fight, fight to dunk the basketball. And even when he jumped up in the air, he was yanking the thing and Lillard would fall down. He had to do 10 of those. I was standing next to Kevin O'Connor of the jazz and we were all looking at each other like, 
we've never seen anything like this. I was sold at that point when I walked away for that reason. Well, let, let me talk about a few guys that I was sold on that I shouldn't have been. We, we all know about Darko. Yeah. You and I are going to do a redraftables on the 2003 NBA draft, so I will... Yeah, yeah, we'll go deep dive I, I, on Darko. I'll save on that my one. Darko stories for that. Yeah. Nikolos Skidishvili, a, yeah. a player uh, that I will completely hang Mike D'Antoni out to dry <laughs> on as well. He invites me up the Benetton. This is my first year really doing the international stuff. D'Antoni was his head coach uh, in Italy. I, I see D'Antoni putting him through a workout. He wasn't even playing on Mike's team. That should have been my first red flag, right? If Mike D'Antoni thinks this guy's so great, why isn't he getting any minutes on his team? Right. You know, Mike D'Antoni parlays all of that into getting a job back in the NBA, right? Inviting all these NBA scouts up, mingling with all these NBA guys. I mean, Mike, Mike played me and many people in the NBA to get in, in back in the NBA, and he, and he deserved to be. I, I think Mike's a great coach. I loved him. Lesson, lesson learned. Guys that only do workouts and don't play in, on basketball games, and the only real evidence that you have is their head coach telling you how great they're going to be, and he's self-interested about getting back into the NBA. Don't fall in love with players like that. Uh, that was an early on mistake. That's tough. Well, you know, the other piece of that, and this is another thing that's led to a lot of draft mistakes, is there was, it was a trend thing happening at that point because yeah. by the time that draft happens – Dirk, yeah, yeah. Dirk. You, want, you want the next and, Dirk, and it's like, wow, this guy, this guy was the ninth pick and is now one of the top five assets in our league. So who's next? What international? Oh, he kind of looks like Dirk, and they, there was a couple like that. That it was just kind of the fumes of Dirk led to some really bad decisions. Yeah. Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Yeah, I missed I, on him too. I, I liked loved him. Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I mean, and, and you think about again. Guys that work hard, check. Athlete, check. Fierce competitor, check. Leader. John Calipari went on and on about he, how he took leadership of, the, of this Kentucky team, not, not Anthony Davis, and was, was the real leader of, of this team, check. Couldn't shoot. Really, his offensive game was completely really in transition, um, and, that was the, and that was it. And when you watched his jump shot and you watched the hitch in it, you had those concerns, but here was a player that I just thought he was going to figure it out. I thought he was going to put in the effort and he was going to become an, an elite player in the NBA. He was a winner at every level, both in high school and, and college. And, and he's been a massive disappointment. He's been a good defender in the NBA, but his offense is so, so poor that you really can't keep him on the floor. So Rosillo has a whole thing on this. Rosillo didn't like him going into that draft. And his case was he's actually not a good athlete. It seems like he's a good athlete. The go-to, and I felt the same way. I was like, oh, he's going to be so athletic. He could play different positions. And he's like, like watch him carefully. He's actually not a great athlete. He's he's like a smart athlete. He's not, and and that turned out to be more right than anything because I do feel like if he was an incredible athlete, even if he couldn't shoot, there's a way to use those guys. But when I watch him on Charlotte, I'm always like, did he blow out his knee and nobody told well, me? He, he has had um, a lot of injuries as well. He, he's been pretty injury prone, but I don't think that's the problem. No, yeah, definitely not. Um, I was thinking the 06 draft. I remember that one just feeling helpless, even trying to guess 
I, I, whatever, I, don't, I haven't read my 06 draft diary around. Whatever my takes were, I bet I was batting like 20% in that one. Cause like, I really liked Adam Morrison. I was like, the guy's going to score. He knows how to put the ball in the basket. Now he blew out his ACL. He had some mental health stuff and who knows, but I didn't know that at the time. Although I guess I could have researched it. Gonzaga was so careful about shielding him from everybody. Remember they, they treated him like he was like a four-year-old kid. They protected him everywhere, and that should have been a huge red flag. And now I would see that and go, why are they hiding this guy? Like, what's this guy's going to be a professional athlete, and he and his college is afraid to even have him talk to a reporter? So that that was, a, I think, a red flag. I was in on not trusting Tyrus Thomas, though, because that one, he had the momentum of, like, six college games, remember? And it was like, Tyrus yeah. Thomas. It was like, oh, he played well for, like, two weeks. Was yeah. there more? Uh, did, were you right or wrong on Morrison? I can't remember. I was I was right on Morrison. I didn't love Morrison, but I was wrong on Tyrus Thomas. I I I didn't love anybody in this draft, but I think I'm I'm just trying to remember right now. I actually think Tyrus Thomas was number one on my board. It was a bad draft. It was, it was a bad draft. I mean, Andrea Bogner, Lamarcus Aldridge was clearly the guy, and and you know Brandon Roy, we all knew was a good player, but the knee stuff, we we already knew that his career was gonna gonna really struggle with with injuries. I think that. This is the other theme of when I get guys wrong is that I love these long athletic players that can play multiple positions and I can fall in love with guys that are true tweeners and that they don't have a position. I always want to project a positive that they're going to be able to play multiple positions, but sometimes the answer is they can't play any position. They can't guard any position in the NBA. They don't have the offensive skills to thrive at any position in the NBA. Tyrus Thomas was one of those examples for me. Malik Pope, a guy that I, I went all in on. He was in the top 10 on, on my board, wasn't even drafted, uh, is you know another guy that I fell in love on this potential, but there was no actual evidence behind that potential that they were going to be able to do the things that I hoped that they could do. And I, you know, look, I've always been a believer. If, if there's a weakness in how I evaluate drafts, tell me what a guy can do. Don't tell me what he can't do. I hate all the pessimists in the draft that always just nitpick every player apart and tell you what they can't do. I don't actually think that's the right way to draft, but that irrational exuberance that I can get on times projecting what a player can do when they haven't proven they can do that has got me in trouble multiple times on the draft. Let me just ask you one other question about misses. Can I have one, th one yep. follow up on yep. that though? Um, the one thing probably in the last, I would say 12 years that I started to look at probably after the top, top seven, eight, when you start going, it's a little more crap shooty is really trying to focus on does this guy have one elite skill and I, and could I, if just look at the finals teams from the year before, could this guy like at least come off the bench for one of those teams? And I've gotten pretty good at that with people. Like I really like Montrezl Harrell. Yep. And I was just like, I know what that guy is It worst case scenario. He's going to run the floor with a ton of energy and get yep. rebounds and you can play him 15 minutes a game. Um, but then somebody like Malik Monk, where I was like, that guy, oh, yeah. Like, lights out shooter. That's exactly who you want in this day and age. And he's sucked. Yeah. So, you know, you can have your philosophy. But I think the important thing to remember is you're never going to bat 100. You're, you're, 100. you're always going to be missing on guys left and right. I think last year there were a couple guys that we all kind of 
we all kind of said like Brandon Clark. I think all of us unanimously were like, that guy's going to be pretty good. Like that worst case scenario, that's an eighth man. He knows where to go and what to do. Um, and I think people are getting better at kind of figuring out who those guys are. Grant Williams is another one. I love Thibault last year. I still do. I'm, I have so much Thibault stock. Um, I just felt like incredible defensive player gives a shit. will learn how to shoot. I don't care that he can't shoot now. I, I just believe he will be able to shoot three years from now. Um, but that one skill thing, I think once you get past pick 10, if the guy doesn't have that one awesome skill, then why am I drafting him? Well, this is why I'm I'm in on Lamella Ball with the number one pick. He has an elite, elite skill. His ability to handle the ball and see the floor is is already elite. Okay, guys that we missed in that we didn't see them coming. You know, a player that turned out to be fantastic in the league that we just weren't super high on. We didn't have to be down on him, but that we just weren't super high on him. And, and I have two. I'll start with two guys. Donovan Mitchell. Okay. I did not foresee Donovan Mitchell being an NBA All-Star and being the franchise cornerstone for the Utah Jazz. I, I liked him okay in the draft. I thought he went kind of appropriately where he went on draft night. He's turned out to be way, way better that, than I thought he would be. And, and Devin Booker, you know, when I watched him at Kentucky, I did not see what he was going to become uh, with Phoenix and he's he's been fantastic for them. He's not played on a great basketball team, but it should have been more clear what he did well in Kentucky to that one skill uh, type of question and, and his ability to do it well. And one thing I'll say about both these players, they had a bit of a chip on their shoulder. They had a chip on their shoulder about where they were drafted. They knew they were better than what people said, and they've, they've really been out trying to prove that uh, to the rest of the, the rest of the league, that, that, that they're great. But those were guys that I just... I, I should have been more excited about and just wasn't on, on draft night. Anybody that comes to mind for you? I think that's a key point, though. Sometimes the slight on draft night can really help propel a guy in the right direction. It definitely happened with Devin Booker. It definitely happened with Paul Pierce. Um, I think it unquestionably happened with Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. And that was a guy that I had actually gotten good feedback on him Um just people like guaranteeing me he was going to be good. He's a pro. He's got an incredible work ethic. And at that point I was in the work ethic side of thing. I didn't expect him to turn out, you know, what he became. Um, I was wrong on Kyrie Irving. I, I thought Derek Williams should have been the first pick okay. in that draft. I guess that's another okay. miss. Small. One. I really liked Derek Williams in college. I thought, um, I thought he could be a guy. He just seemed like a logical stretch forward to me. The, the league was shifting that way. He was a guy who who had a really good outside shot and delivered in college. I was like, well, why isn't this guy going to be awesome? I don't know what was going on with him off the court. The Kyrie thing, it was like the guy played 10 games at Duke. Um, he's our number one pick over this guy that I watched prove, but I missed on Kyrie. And the other one, the, I got to say, the James Harden thing is stunning. And I, I think it's surprising now, even to people who were, did that draft. What year was that? Oh, that was 09. Um, I remember talking to Doug Collins about it when we were doing TV together and he knew, he knew Harden and, uh, and the college he went to and knew the coach and stuff. And it just seemed like his personality was, he was just going to be like, I'm a supporting guy. He was never, never somebody that was one of the reasons OKC took him. 
He was somebody that didn't want to be a star. He just wanted to be a supporting guy. And to watch what's happened with the last six years, I, I don't think anybody could have predicted Definitely that. Definitely didn't right? see James Harden coming. I, I was I was high on him in the draft, but not high on him like he's become. Same with Steph Curry. I like Steph Curry in the draft. I I would have laughed in your face if you told me Steph Curry was going to be the MVP of the league uh, someday. Uh, it, it was a guy that I, I loved him as a shooter. I questioned all sorts of other things about his game, his ability to defend in the NBA, what position he was going to play. And while I liked him, I wouldn't have seen that coming from miles away. And so that was another guy I missed. Let's take. W- I loved I loved Rubio. Do you did? Yep. Do you feel like that's a miss, or do you feel like he hurt his knee right as his career was really blossoming? Because that that T Wolves team, him and Love, they were really doing well, and then he tore his ACL, and I, I don't feel like he was ever quite the same. I still feel like if you played his career ten times. I think there's four or five versions where he's fucking awesome. Yeah, I and he's an All NBA. He, he he also just leveled out in his progress. I mean, he was he was so good so young, and and True. you project that that trajectory to keep going upward. And in his lack of confidence on the offensive end, other than passing the basketball, shooting the basketball, even just really sort of attacking the basket, was has been an issue his entire career. And I think Utah got it fixed for a little bit. But then they couldn't get it completely fixed, and he reverted back in, in many ways. But go backwards. He goes to Minnesota, the probably the worst franchise of the last 20 years, all things considered. I mean, they've had they've had one great player, and they've a million coaches and just have screwed up left and right. Even if you put him on – like, let's say Washington just kept that pick – and he's on the Wizards, and he doesn't get hurt. He just even doing that, I wonder if his career is different. I, everything about going to Minnesota was wrong. He's got the double point guard thing. You have Khan as your GM. Then you have this weird team with Kevin Love and Al Jefferson together. That doesn't make sense for a Ricky Rubio team. Like I wish he had just gone on a team where it's just like, we're just running. We're going. We're going to try to score 120 points a game. We're building everything around you. Here's like If he had had Mike D'Antoni as his coach, I, he's like, he's an all NBA guy. So I don't know. That's a circumstance thing to me. Okay. We'll be back on the next segment talking about our favorite draft and our best draft calls with Bill Simmons. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA big board on the locked on podcast network. And we're back with Bill Simmons. We've talked about all of our mistakes. We got that out of the way. Let's start with what was your favorite draft? Oh, seven. Because I really loved college basketball that year. The Duran Odin thing, we had so much fun with that. I, I, that felt like it took a life of its own. Like that, that became a real fun sports argument. And people were on one side or the other. You were on the right side. Odin, I was on the wrong side, by the way. Well, but Odin, Odin also got hurt. You know, I think when we came out of that championship game, I picked Durant, but it wasn't I I had my thing was I thought Durant was gonna be a special player. I was convinced. I watched him, I, I read everything about him. I was like, this guy has a chance to be like a top thirty all time guy. And Odin, I just I'm afraid of his health risks. But coming out of that championship game, I definitely wavered because he was the best player on the court against a pretty fairly iconic Florida team. And uh, I just loved everything about that draft. I, the Celtics had a top five pick. 
Uh, it turned out, unfortunately, to be the fifth pick, but they had a lottery pick that year. We knew it was going to be a great one. I was watching everybody. Al Horford's in there, Mike Conley, Joakim Noah. Um, just, you know, everything about it was great, and I really loved watching Durant. He's my favorite college player of the last 15 years. I, I did, too, and that was one of the ironies, is I loved Durant, and you, you kept calling me out on it. Chad, you've been on the Durant. You and I have been leading the Durant bandwagon all year. Yeah, you were. You were and, first. And then... And then I went with Odin and, and even tried to defend Odin a year later. Uh, definitely a fun, fun draft. And that Florida team was just so fun to watch as well. And and debating what Horford was going to be in the NBA, what Noah was going to be at the NBA. Just just fantastic. Mine was too... My runner-up My runner up is 09. And why 09? And then I would say 98 third. 09, because I like the guys in the draft. And then Khan with the back-to-back picks taking point guards... Back to back, I still is my favorite ten minute sequence in a draft. It was unbelievable when it's happening. If you go back and read my draft diary, I'm having like a stroke when it's. I just Johnny Flynn and Rick, Ricky Rubio. Like, what are you doing? How are you not taking Steph Curry? It just was inconceivable, and I, I I'll never get over that one. That and Anthony Bennett, I think, are the two most shocking moments in a draft. David Kahn, the worst general manager, I think, to to ever be in the NBA, my opinion. Yeah, pound for pound. Pound for pound, the worst. Pound for pound, uh, everything he did was wrong. It's unbelievable. My favorite draft, 2003. Yes, that was the draft that I fell in love with Darko, but it also had LeBron James. It had Carmelo Anthony. There was a really great debate that I think people forget at the time with the Carmelo Anthony camp that people fell in love with him in college. People thought he was going to be like Magic Johnson. I mean, there was just things about Carmelo that that people really loved and that argument. And then Darko, there was a massive ma- – and then Chris Bosh was fourth, and, and people really liked Chris Bosh as well. That was a draft where you were debating on all of these good choices and what was going to happen. And then also Jerry West's face on the draft lottery night when he's standing there. If he gets the number one pick, his entire franchise is finally changed with the Grizzlies. It falls to number two. For something a predecessor for a trade a predecessor had had made, and he's going to have to pass on that. Jerry West, by the way, got to give him credit, was the one executive that consistently warned me that Darko was not who I thought he was. Was deeply concerned with Darko's makeup. Kept warning me before the draft, "You're getting too excited about this guy. You're wrong about Darko," and and he was right. And then guys like Dwayne Wade, as well in this draft. But that was the draft where I think that. I became kind of the draft guy and a lot of people, and I actually traveled overseas. I had spent time with Darko. This was also when I met Pavel Podkolzin and he comes into the NBA combine, this seven, six giant who's doing crossover dribbles and, and blows people away in this little workout in the gym only to find out that he has no surprise, a pituitary gland problem and and actually he's going to need surgery and, and, and drops out of the draft. There was just so much excitement for me being on TV with ESPN really for the first time. I, I look at it fondly, even with all the Darko stuff, and I'll tell more stories on our uh, on our redraftables because I have a ton of stories about that draft. Well, there's one other piece to that. There's one other piece to 03. I feel like by that point, the internet was really starting to become the internet. And ESPN.com, when I joined in 01, even then was still trying to figure out what it was. Like I remember in 2000, Gammon's 
signed there to go full time. And it was, a, you know, a transcendent moment for sports journalism and the Internet. It's like, wow, Gammons is the most important baseball writer we have. I can only read him on ESPN.com. And I, I think and then I went there in 01 and page two was really doing well. And, and just the website got better. More people were adapt to going in the Internet. And by 03, it felt like all of that had kind of become what it would eventually become. I think ESPN.com from, I would say, 03 through 09 was the first place any sports fan went. Maybe a little earlier than that. I don't know. But 03 felt like when we'd really figured out how to marry the draft and the Internet. It, it was a really fun time to work there. I, I have so much, so many fond memories and so many great people that were working there. And, and it really did feel like we were on the forefront of leading something on the internet. That was, that was really special. Well, remember, remember like six, seven years ago, like when did your site started in 96 mm -hmm. and I didn't even know about it probably until 98. I was so starved for draft content. I don't even I did draft diaries start in 97. I don't even really remember where I got information yeah. other than sporting news would do a little like, here's what the draft might look like. Um, you, you'd, you'd Google stuff, maybe stuff would come up, but it, it, it was so disjointed. And I was, I told this story in the 98 redraftables when Pierce started dropping, just not understanding or knowing why. And there's no information and Googling like Paul Pierce cocaine and <laughs> just not, not knowing what happened, like think, figuring out something was wrong with him, but we just had no information. Yeah. And, and especially, you know, that was the draft where, again, I spent a lot of time overseas. International players, the inf information was so scarce. It was, it was like an Interpol video or a photo of the player and, you know, one or two sentences about the player. And that's all that you really knew about them. And, and for that part to come alive with, with obviously with Dirk coming on the scene and Pau Gasol, uh, really becoming a player as well. That that was just another insight that you could go over there and actually scout these guys and and learn about these guys and 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 hold them in conversation with the college players in the draft. Just so much fun for me. You're well, and there's the other piece with O three. We actually had seen LeBron. He was on television. He was the first high schooler right. that I had watched. I don't know, eight of his games. I had opinions on him. It was the first, like that, that was the problem with Dwight Howard a year later. We, we hadn't actually seen him play. LeBron was on ESPN with a big spotlight on him. And you would watch him and you're like, oh my God, this guy's, this guy cannot miss. There's no way this guy isn't going to be great. So yeah, that was a really fun draft. The Wade thing was fun too because he was the old school, been in college for a couple of years, came through in the tournament a few times. Marquette, and yeah, it was kind of not the, a big name yeah, school. The, yeah, the old model. But then you had like weirdos like uh, Cayman was in that draft, and Marcus Banks, yeah. and uh, it, the draft really cratered after the. I haven't looked at it in a while, but probably after like the first thirteen picks. That's gonna be a fun one for us to go yeah, over. A lot of stories there. Your best call, yeah. Bill, and you, you can't be like a number one pick, but. You know, the guy that, that you were right about that maybe the consensus wasn't there yet with the NBA or other people, the guy Bill, Bill Simmons discovered. This guy discovered. Interesting. I don't I, I I'm trying to think if I was all in. I was really, really all in on Curry. I, I really thought he was going to be special, but I also thought Jimmer Fredette was, was going to be really good. But <laughs> I really thought Curry, I couldn't believe he fell to seven. I, I, I just, I thought 
I, I didn't understand the the knocks against him. Um, it just seemed like people had talked themselves. He had more. He was hotter a year earlier. Um, I think. I think really being adamant that I thought Durant had a chance to be one of the best thirty players of all time if he could stay healthy. Like I wrote that. Um, that's probably I'm probably the most proud of how all in I was on Durant. I know he was a top pick, but I was like this. This is like a special generational talent and I don't understand why people are acting like like he's just another scoring forward like this guy is a cross between Bob McAdoo and Tracy McGrady and we're, we're never going to see anyone like we might never see this guy again you were all in you were I was all in on him also one that also one that you might be forgetting though somehow you messed it up in our in our mock draft together you loved Russell Westbrook Right from the beginning, I did, but he went he went fourth. So I don't, I don't know if I can count that. I almost felt like that was shocking that he went that high. But yeah, I loved him that whole year, and he was another work ethic guy. He was like everything you read about him. He just was willing himself to be this important great player, and I was bummed because I thought he was somebody that I thought you know he's gonna be my big sleeper, and then he just started climbing. And even February, March, I remember he was yeah. just getting better and better. And then it was like, oh, he's a top 10 pick now. And then when Presti took him for, I think that's one of the great picks anyone's made because it seemed too high. But he he saw the, the potential, the ceiling of that guy and his work ethic and all the things that we're talking about this whole podcast. Yeah. He saw it the most. He was like, I, if I put this guy next to Durant, I'm all set. I thought him going for was in that draft ahead of Kevin Love was insane. I mean, they, Kevin Love had a chance to be like the second pick in the draft that year. And for him to fall behind Westbrook, it, it didn't seem like it made That's, sense. It's interesting. A little bit like I pulled back from uh, Durant at the end. You pulled back a little bit from uh, Westbrook because I was reading our thing and you selected Danilo Gallinari over Westbrook in our little mock draft together. And then you gave me a hard time when I had Westbrook go six to the Knicks. And right, and I it seemed high. It, it just felt high at the time, and I do think people forget that when he went for that, that was really higher than almost anyone had him projected to go. But again, you're right; just an amazing Sam Presti knows how to draft, and that that was a great great example. Okay, here's here's mine, Kawhi Leonard, and mm. I loved Kawhi Leonard. He was very high on my draft board. He slides to 14. On draft night, I think by pick seven, I was going insane that Kawhi Leonard was slipping. And this gets again to to your theme. He was working out in Vegas with Joe Abunazar. And I one of the things, one of the habits that I have when I go to these workout gyms is I I, I show up early, way earlier than I say that I'm going to be there. Because I want to see who's in the gym getting ready, prepping, who's working hard. I get there at like 630 in the morning. There's Kawhi Leonard there. Mm. I leave at 6.30 that night. Kawhi Leonard is still there getting in shots. Everybody's come and gone a couple of times. He never leaves. He's always pulling a trainer over. When I talk to Kawhi Leonard, there's no BS in him. He wasn't trying to sell himself or anything. He just wanted to play basketball. He loved basketball. That was his entire life. And then I asked the Bunazar, is this, is this like every day? So this is every day. For this kid, that's 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 all he does is eat, sleep, and drink basketball, 
And even though there was warts to his game or whatever, he was such a unique player, had such a unique mindset. I really felt like Kawhi Leonard was going to be a star in the NBA, and he and he turned out to be. And I will give a lot of credit to the San Antonio Spurs. He actually fell. And this is something I tell players all the time. Fit matters. And draft position doesn't matter. Falling to the right team or being drafted by the right team is is huge for almost every player, unless you're a Kevin Durant or a LeBron James, and you're gonna you're gonna thrive wherever wherever you go. He landed on the perfect team for him, and a team that appreciated what he gave, because that's what the Spurs were all about. And and then he blossomed as a player into into a superstar. And it was we a both hit that one. I had that in the draft diary after Houston took Marcus Morris, I wrote, Kawhi Leonard is officially our how the hell did he slide to the middle of the draft guy, which doesn't happen every year. But when it happens, parentheses, Danny Granger, Ty Lawson, Roy Hibbert, you know as it's happening, he should have been a lottery pick. That guy's a natural NBA small forward. I think I liked him mostly because you liked him because you were like all in on him that year. But I another guy for me was Danny Granger. Yeah. I was going... I was going nuts that year. He fell nine picks lower than he should have gone, and he was really good in college. And you know, he got hurt in the pros, but he he was twenty five a game one year, and uh, and he, I think that one had a chance if he didn't get hurt in the pros. He's a potential like fringe Hall of Famer because he could have played fifteen years. He was a three and D guy, high level. Um, he was this first or second best guy on on good playoff teams, and uh, and that would have been one where we look back and we're like like same way you look at like the Rondo sliding to twenty one and things like that. Like how did that happen? Yeah, I also like Danny Granger a lot. He, in fairness to Danny Granger, there was also an injury concern with his knee that Is that, that was true? part of the reason that he slid on draft night. Actually, Kawhi Leonard, there were some injury issues there as well, and then in Danny Granger's case, I think they panned out to be a little bit more predictive of what was going to happen a little bit later on in his, his career with that same knee and some problems that were the there. The Brandon Wright thing was the best, the Brandon Wright thing was the best example of that. Cause I, I remember when the Celtics traded that pick being so upset and I had connections at the Celtics and they were just like, our team doctors just said, he's not going to be a basketball player in five right. years. But even with that like, said, really? he should have went higher than he did in that draft because of what he gave you for five years. And the same with Danny Granger. And this is where, again, teams can make a mistake. I'm going to give you one more of my best calls. And this is a guy that I said was not going to be good and turned out to be right. And that's Austin Rivers. I got so much crap over Austin Rivers. I was on first take with Skip and and Stephen A. Oh, wow. Stephen A was going nuts, was saying, you know, Chad, you've hurt Doc Rivers' feelings and, you know, the way that you're talking, this is an implication on his father. I mean, you know, my goodness, the the heat that I took on on Austin Rivers, I just didn't see it. I, I thought he was a selfish basketball player who was skilled but didn't have the athleticism and I didn't think had the the team mentality to really fit to what he needed to do in the NBA. And and while he, he's hung Good around call. the league, there was a lot of people that were arguing he should be the number one pick in the draft, the number two pick in the draft. And, you know, falling in love with a player because of their parents' pedigree is the dumbest of reasons to to like to like a basketball player. I haven't seen any well, correlation. We're, we're gonna say with Bronny James. We're going to see it with Bronny James oh, yeah. in about three years, four years. There's there's just no correlation. 
and, and unfortunately, in, in almost every every yeah. field, that your kids are going to possess the same talent or skills that, that, that you are. And, and in fact, often when their their parents are famous the way that they are, they don't have to work for things the same way that, that their parents did. That, that sort of entitlement gets into it uh, as well. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I have to, I have to go. Okay. I, I, I would love to stay longer, but I actually have to leave. Okay, Bill. This was, this was good though, but we're going to do more next week on, on mine. We're doing the 2003 draft. I'm looking forward. I'm carving out, I'm carving out 90 minutes for carving that. out 90 minutes to talk about Darko Milicic for at least and all the other, thir- all the other stuff, all the other stuff. There's so like, much good stuff. Like why? I still don't understand why Detroit didn't take Carmelo, but we'll, we'll go into all that. We'll stuff. talk about all of that. I've got a lot of stories yeah, to yeah. tell. Looking forward to coming onto your pod. Thanks so much for coming on to my pod. It's great to have you back. I missed you. I missed reading you. I missed hearing you. So I'm glad. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're humming again. Well, I I've missed this. It's been six years. Great to be in yeah. conversation with you again. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. 